Welcome back to the Varies and Numerous podcast. This is episode number 20. Today I have Larry Fisher. He's Director of Communication uh, and Content for UFF Sports. He just recently uh, signed with them. He's also Senior Writer and uh, the Head Scout for the Hockey Writers and a WHL Scout for FC Hockey. Uh, Welcome to the show today, sir. I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. Yeah, so uh, as you can tell, I'm a pretty big hockey guy myself, so I love having somebody else on that loves to talk hockey, so I'm sure this will be a treat for me as well. No, that's awesome. I seen the, the Penguins logo right away, and I uh, can't pick a much better team to cheer for over the last <laughs> decade or so. They've had a perennial contender and got a few couple cups there, so it's been a, a, a heck of a run, and hopefully those guys aren't past their prime yet. Hopefully we get them back on the ice soon, and then they can take another run. Right, I'm hoping for one more before Gino and Sid are gone. But we'll get into that here momentarily, I guess. I always start at the onset of people's life. Uh, where are you from? So I'm from a small town in the prairies in Saskatchewan. The town's called Looseland, L-U-S-E-L-A-N-D. Uh, population around 600, 650, something like that. So literally just a, a small farming town and I grew up on a grain farm of about 1500 acres of land we farmed so that's sort of my background which is ironic I got in with the UFF sports guys who are also from the prairies and from an agriculture background a, a large number of the founders and some are oil and gas and that's sort of the the two industries that 90% of my family members are in and that's sort of the, the black sheep that went off and uh, did the media thing and then now and hopefully working my way back into uh, communications role and, and into fantasy sports, which I've always had a, a big passion for. Yeah, uh, it's cool talking to you guys up there. Uh, Tony and yourself are the two that I've, t- I've spoken with, uh, uh, you know, primarily about uh, UFF sports and uh, so far. And you guys have – you guys uh, grew up in sort of the same environment that I grew up in, so we have a lot in common. When, uh, what kind of student were you? Were you like a studious guy or were you more into sports or you, were you pretty balanced? Yeah, maybe I lean more on the sports side. You know, honestly, I thought I was going to probably stay home and work in the patch, in the oil patch or possibly farm. So I wasn't super motivated uh, to go to school. And then actually I had a, an accident when I was working road construction the week of my high school grad and I lost part of my finger and I wasn't able to work for the summer. So I had to figure out a plan and I had done some writing for the local paper just covering my own hockey team football team stuff growing up our hometown teams and I enjoyed it another one of the older guys from my hometown went to the same journalism school in Lethbridge Alberta so I thought I'd apply kind of last minute and got accepted and gave it a whirl and here we are I guess uh, 15 16 years later still going strong yeah, I love I love that you uh, went into hockey because I I studied a little or I did a little bit of baseball journalism. I would have I would have much rather done uh, the hockey stuff. So hockey's in almost every Canadian's DNA. It seems like is that is that uh, was was your household pretty into hockey or? Yeah, totally. My dad never played growing up, but all my other family members did, and he was a. As soon as I got into it, I started a little late. I think I started around eight years old. Was when I first played and I got sent back to play with the the younger group I was in with the kindergarten kids and younger guys for a year and then I sort of played one year of every level all the way up and then uh played rep and went on to play some junior b and stuff but yeah my sister played hockey all my cousins played it like I said it's in the dna you're sort of one of the I don't want to say strange kids but it, it's definitely <laughs> different if you didn't play hockey like uh 
Right. Very small town, right? 650 people. So I think our kindergarten to grade 12 entire school had under 200 students. My class had 18, but I think like 14 of the 18 played hockey. So you're definitely uh, uh, in the majority if you were a hockey player growing up. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, Canada is, you know, right right above us but uh americans have so i think it's it, you know it works both ways we have like a weird opinion of each other like um we we don't know i feel like we don't know as much about each other as we should be and so close to each other i always have like this uh sort of um uh, uh outlook on canadians like you guys grow up and at recess you're like skating around the pond or something is that is that what it's like or what what's it what's tell me more about like uh being a child in canada yeah, I guess for what, nine months out of the year, we can, uh, <laughs> maybe more like five or six months out of the year, we got the, we had an outdoor rink right at our school. So yeah, we did, uh, our recess was on the, on the outdoor rink, not you, sometimes with skates, but a lot of times just with shoes on the ice and yeah, playing, playing hockey and stuff. But our hometown, again, being such a small town, there was almost unlimited ice time at the actual arena. So uh, especially for me, I was a goaltender, so I could kind of, practice with three or four different teams and then still do our shinny or scrimmage sessions so on a weekend sometimes I'd be on the ice seven eight hours a day uh, growing up so even though I started late I, I managed to catch up pretty quickly and and make a, a little bit of a, a playing career out of it anyway had some fun with it and played some senior men's hockey played a little bit of junior b and and still to this day play a, a bit of beer league anyway so it's uh, <laughs> enjoyable here in, in Kelowna. I've managed to continue playing uh, at least a couple times a week throughout the last 12 years here. What position? I'm a goaltender, yeah. I, oh, have, wow. I can play forward as well. Like I have gear to be a skater and sometimes I'll play that at the lower levels rec. But yeah, I play uh, goal was what I played growing up. So That's pretty cool. So uh, you're, you're obviously, uh, I'm talking to you about your life in uh, UFF sports. Where, when did you uh, get interested in cryptocurrency? Is that something that you, you have a long past in, or is this something that came about as an opportunity because of your hockey background? Yeah, the latter. Uh, crypto was completely new to me. I, I didn't know. I, you know. I had never even heard the word blockchain, to be honest. And, and, and even I had heard Bitcoin, and I had a cousin that was interested in that. Right? And you know, he made some smart decisions right? You know, 10 years ago or whatever and got into it, and he's doing well for himself. But to me, it was kind of always – I, I would honestly say I was kind of like skeptical of it at first. And I think when I got in with the UFF sports guys, uh, largely they were coming to me for my connections in hockey as well as fantasy sports and, and certainly in the scouting world because that's uh, a big part of the platform is we're going to do a, a scouting launch here in the near future and, and, and that's going to be a big aspect of it. So I think they brought me into the fold that way. And, and to be honest, it was uh, – Again, the, the crypto part at first, I was almost a, a little skeptical of it just because in my personal life, it was sort of that thing that I never gave much attention to. And, and I had a couple meetings with the founders and, and they hadn't, they'd brought it up, but they hadn't really explained how the crypto would uh, impact the, the success of the platform. And then when they sort of planted the seed with the crypto kitties and then how that took off and how this could work similar... Uh, I think that's where it really clicked for me. And then I was like, wow, these guys are onto something. And this could be uh, obviously the future of fantasy and sort of the next big thing uh, for people that want to own players and teams as digital assets. And I could see how you're, you're able to sort of monetize this, both for the people involved and the people that are playing the game. So it was kind of funny, though. I was thinking, like, what, how do all these farmers and, and oil men know about crypto kitties? And, you know, it's kind of funny, but 
I mean, they're smart guys. It's a, yeah. it's a smart group of people that are putting this together. And I'm learning more and more about crypto every day because it's going to be a big part of the platform. And I'm in my role, I'm going to have to explain that side of it too. So certainly intrigued by it. But uh, if I told you I had anything more than an elementary understanding of how crypto works and the, the different types of currency and, and digital currencies, uh, I'd be lying to you. So it's all new to me within uh, the last six to eight weeks. Before that, I... I knew what Bitcoin was. Uh, I knew the word Bitcoin and that's about it. I, I, like I said, I didn't even know what the blockchain was. So I'm excited, intrigued, and then looking forward to the potential. I love it. Yeah, I've written a couple uh, blockchain books. I'll have to send them to you for being my guest and uh, taking your time to come on today. Maybe get you up to speed a little bit more. Uh, what? Uh, so you don't, you, you didn't really come from a tech background, but were you interested in tech at all, like uh, growing up, uh, you know, anything in particular or no? Yeah, a bit. And, and it's funny because the white, as you know, my background's in newspapers and print media. And obviously that's going the way of the dinosaur. There's not much left for print and, and they're slashing. And I was laid off a year ago and it's sort of like, what next now, right? Because uh, in online media, like strictly online journalism, there's not a the pay levels are quite a bit different than what they were in print. And then obviously the advertising revenue uh, influences what the pay scale is going to be. But yeah, so it was going to be a step back pay wise to stay strictly as a, an online writer. And so the wife was very much pushing me out, you know, text big, go into tech. She wanted me to go into tech. So it's just kind of weird how this all worked out. And it is very much a, a tech startup and it has, you know, tons of potential and I'm learning more and more every day, but I, I had interest in tech, but nothing, specific it's just kind of been out there and i've learned a bit here and there and and I, definitely something that now uh, now that i'm in it I, i'm excited about it and learning more and more every day very cool so let's get into uh the mock i saw you've been doing a mock draft i think you began that in 2012 am i right yeah that's sort of been one of my niches you could say uh, as a hockey writer is i've always enjoyed that since i was a little kid being in fantasy drafts and certainly the, the mock draft side of it of, of as the draft gets closer, who's going to go where, what, you know, obviously kind of an aspiring general manager too. Yeah. I, I have that role or a director of scouting where you kind of put yourself in their shoes and, you know, what does the team need this year? What are they going to need in five years? You know? And so that's sort of been uh, one of my niches, like I said, since 2012 when I went public with it, but I've, I've always enjoyed the mock draft side. So what, what exactly is the drafting, uh, the, the draft going to look like, the scouting and the draft? I know the draft already happened for the clubs uh, last year. I, I covered that a bit. But what's the, can you get into, like, a little bit about the scouting in UFF sports? We're still ironing out the details exactly, but certainly there's going to be uh, a scouting auction. where So we're going to sign up as many scouts as possible, and then they're going to be able to bid on the, the top prospects, the ones that everybody knows. And then the hidden gems, the steals, that sort of stuff, they're going to be able to register after the auction's over and the, the main prospects are spoken for. They're going to be able to register kind of first-come, first-served basis. So that's where it's really going to get interesting because we're allowed to register kids that are three draft years out. So, you know, this year you can already register kids that are eligible for 2023. Well, we know the big names already. We know Connor Bedard. We know Adam Fantilli. We know Matt B. Mishkov in Russia that are, you know, these are 15-year-old kids, but we know about them thanks to the internet, thanks to Twitter, you know, and, and scouts. So we know the big names, the top five or 10 maybe that are even at that age that are projected to be the big names. 
But after that auction's over, it's it's fair game to everybody. And we're going to have scouts that are in Russia and Finland, and, and they're going to know these kids that, that we haven't heard of on this side of the pond. And and so I think that's where the intrigue's going to happen, as well as obviously in Canada, there's going to be people watching their local Bantam and Midget AAA leagues and, and signing some of these kids that are late bloomers and, and all the rest. And then they're going to hopefully their value will grow and, and they'll be able to eventually uh, go through the entry auction, much like the NHL draft. And, and, and they'll be able to be bidded up by the franchise owners and, and enter the league that way. And if they don't go through the auction, they'll also be almost like a, a free agent signing, like how the prospects are uh, the kids that don't get drafted. They get to uh, negotiate. You can kind of say you're almost like an, you're a scout until the draft. And then after that, you're almost like an agent. You sort of negotiate deals uh, with directly with the franchise owners and sort of set a price. And then they're entering the league that way. I like to call it a, an entry level contract, like the NHL. You kind of so you're a scout and an agent, and it, it's a really yeah. cool concept because it's something nobody else is doing. I, I I'm in a bunch of fantasy keeper hockey leagues, and I run one of them, and and they all have rookie drafts, and they all draft the kids. Like Alexis Lafreniere is going to be in our rookie draft this year, and and all those kids, Quentin Byfield, and, and we've already drafted all the guys from last year's draft. But nobody goes past that, really. There's not too many drafts out there where you can draft the, the 2021 class already and the 2022 and 2023. So I think that's sort of the, the niche that UFF Sports and, and the UFHL is really going to hit on is being able to dr- buy and, or purchase and develop these digital assets for the three years or however many years before they get to their NHL draft year end. And you'll really see because kids change who who's going to be a top pick in 2023 today, three years from now, you know, might not be a prospect at all. You look at some guys, uh, John McFarland was a big one in Canada who was, you know, potential first overall pick and, and barely played, right. He, he fell quite a bit over those few years. So I think that, that part of it, sort of the draft and develop model for the scouts and, and the scouts are allowed to trade prospects as well within themselves. So that's a, a really part that keeps them active and, and interested. You don't just, you, you start off by sort of building your stable of prospects, but then you can acquire other ones within the scouting community too. So a lot of uh, it is going to be timing and good decisions and obviously uh, being able to monetize your eye for talent, get the right kids and, and develop them and get them through that entry auction and hopefully, uh, you know, make a little money uh, while you're at it, but certainly uh, enjoy the art of scouting. Yeah, the competitiveness in, inside of me. I, I love sports. Uh, I don't talk about sports a lot on here other than UFS sports, but uh, I'm a huge sports guy. And uh, my, I've got a good friend, and I, we always joke around. We're huge Penguins fans. And we joke around about, you know, being the GM or the scout. We're out scouting players, you know. So this is all very cool. I'm trying to get him on board with this. Um, so the scouts, the scouts are basically going to be able to work with individual clubs. If you're a scout, are you are you assigned to one 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 club then, or could you be a scout for the whole league and then uh, offer your services to different teams? Yeah, I think we're still ironing out the details on that and how the prospects are going to come in because obviously we don't want a lot of collusion and and, right. and, and where you know. But at the same time, we do want owners to build a, re- a relationship with scouts and and down the road potentially hire their own scouts underneath them, right, or contract with scouts. So uh, we got to find that balance because you don't want – you want them to negotiate a price, but you want it to be a fair price. And perhaps they'll still go through a, a 24-hour auction as they join the, the protected lists where other owners can bid them up. And, and 
at the end of the day, that that's good for the scout, right? If he can make an extra little bit of money and it doesn't necessarily go to the team that he worked out the deal with, that would be great too. But I think again, the, the concepts are all sort of, we're still ironing out the details, but it's coming soon and we're going to have a, a plan in place here uh, within a week, likely. I actually think this is one of the best ideas um, that I've come across in blockchain of like something outside of just tech, like uh, Bitcoin is um, digital gold. Um, I write for another project, Epic Cash is privacy coin medium of exchange. I think that what you guys are doing is so unique that eventually everyone will be doing fantasy sports on blockchain. Uh, it might take a while, but I really do believe that will happen in like the next decade. I can definitely see that happening. Yeah, that's that's the plan, right? Is to sort of replace the current fantasy landscape. And, and I can see that potential. That's why, you know, for myself at first, I was sort of iffy about it. And then, you know, I, I really, I think the Crypto Kitties thing is what really sold me on it. And, and I, it took me a while to wrap my head around it. But once it clicked, I, like I said, it was like, wow, these guys are, are really on to something and this is going to be the future of fantasy. So I believe that as well. And, and like I said, I'm sort of putting my reputation and my credibility on the line and recruiting a lot of my, you know, family members and friends and scouting colleagues and stuff into the fold and letting them know that I believe in it, which I, I honestly do. I think this is, uh, this is going places. And like I said, a decade from now, this, this will be uh, the standard of the way we do fantasy. And, and by then the, you know, the, the, the entry fees and the stuff we're talking about now and, and the values on the digital assets are, are likely going to be a, a lot different. So it's a no time better to get in than, than on the ground level and, and hope that it goes to the next level, which again, I, I honestly believe it will. Absolutely. There's no better time to get in something from, than from the onset, especially something like this, digital assets uh, that are only going to be, uh, uh, we, we, we expect them to go up. So uh and then, and then the ability to send them around, and then they're talking about stablecoin, uh, that stuff, I, I don't know how much has been released about that yet, so I won't ask you about that or get into that yet, but I talked to Tony a little bit about it. Uh, Tony's the founder of UFF Sports, and um, I think there's, there's a lot of potential that's uh, about to be unleashed. And, and uh, hockey's just the beginning, too. I mean, they're, they're talking about doing a lot of other sports, so it's going to be pretty cool to see how this all develops. Yeah, the plan is to, to rapidly expand. I mean, I, they have, you know, I think the thing is, is the founders, myself, myself included, and as part of the team right now, we all come from Western Canada. We, like I said, we all grew up on the, on the pond. We all know hockey best. So I think this is sort of the, the pilot project that's sort of the test run where we can fine tune everything and, and build out the platform and, you know, build out the website and get the app going and, and sort of, you know, make sure we know exactly what we're doing because we know hockey and, and we can apply that part of it and then really, you know, take, take it to the next level. I mean, obviously down the road, uh, European soccer, NFL football, I mean, these are the, the markets where this could be really huge and, and, and you know, much bigger scale than, than the NHL or than hockey. But certainly the, the big dreams, big plans, and, and hockey's just the, the first step in the process. Absolutely. So what, what is your daily schedule look like? Are you going to be, do you travel around a lot right now? Uh, or is a lot of uh, the stuff you do online, like scouting players and stuff? How does that work? Yeah, so I'm based in Kelowna, British Columbia, Canada, which might be one of the nicest places to call home in Canada. It's a, a really nice uh, valley mountains on the side and, and a nice lake in the middle, very popular touristy spot. But I'm based here. We have the Kelowna Rockets WHL team in town. 
And then we have uh, a number of junior A teams within an hour away as well. So we got Vernon, Penticton, and West Kelowna. And then Kamloops is just a two-hour drive down the road as well, has a, a WHL team. So my primary focus with scouting is the, the kids that are in their NHL draft year or, or, or the older kids who are still NHL draft eligible but were passed over in previous years and are still playing in the Western Hockey League. So from a scouting side, I'm looking for – who do the NHL teams want to draft this year in 2020, as well as a little bit looking ahead to who are the kids that are coming in that 2021, 2022. Like we said, Connor Bedard for 2023. He's the first player who's ever been granted uh, exceptional player status in the Western Hockey League. So he's sort of the, the Sidney Crosby of the West. Uh, wow. Plays a, a similar style game to Crosby at that young of an age. So We'll see how he develops, but he's going to be playing in the league as a 15-year-old next season, which is a, a first for the Western Hockey League as far as a, a full-time player goes. So, But that's my base. I'm, I'm based in West Kelowna, and I scout the, the Western Hockey League for NHL draft-eligible prospects for FC hockey and future considerations. And then I do sort of my own uh, large-scale rankings and stuff just from networking and watching. I mean, obviously, I can't watch – 1200 prospects in a year that's impossible and I, I've seen some of these kids maybe for five minutes here and there on, on highlight reels and stuff but I watch as much hockey as I can I eat sleep and breathe hockey and, and particularly draft eligible prospects that's sort of my my main uh, focus and then obviously for the hockey writers I'm like I said a, a head scout there I do rankings and who's rising and falling from month to month and and try you know try and really handicap the upcoming NHL draft yeah, so I'd be remiss if I had somebody of your expert hockey level on here. It didn't ask who my uh, Penguins what, – what What are we lacking? What do the Penguins need? Matt, eventually you need some young defense prospects. You just traded one away in Kalen Addison to the Minnesota Wild as part of the Jason Zucker deal. You got another one back uh, from the Arizona Coyotes and Pierre-Olivier Joseph who's got some skill, but you really need some some young defensemen coming up. I think that's the – the big weakness in the prospect pool is those young puck moving. You know, somebody's got to replace Chris Letang in whether it's three years or five years. Guy like John Marino's looking good. Marcus Pedersen was a nice pickup, but you need somebody that can really play the power play and put up points and right. get the puck in the hands of Crosby and Malkin and, and all the other guys. So I think that's what you need most is some offensively skilled uh, defense prospects. So it wouldn't surprise me if that was the focus in, in this year's draft to use a, a number of picks on, on offensive-minded defensemen. They seem to like the, the college kids, the kids coming out of the USHL and going the NCAA route. So I'd look for the Penguins to grab some of them. But again, you don't have your first-round pick because that was part of the Jason Zucker trade too. And that's sort of the cost of success in real life. And I assume it will be in, in UFF sports and the UFHL as well. The, the top franchises are going to be focused on winning the Stanley Cup and, and you know, they're going to be willing to trade away some of their future assets as digital assets, as well as their draft picks. And, 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 you know, that's what the Penguins have done for a decade. They've kind of been that perennial contender, but they don't have a lot coming. So it's going to be their scouts have to make hay in those mid to late rounds and really find some, some good young prospects, particularly uh, offensive defensemen for a, an eventual successor to Chris Letang. Yeah, I thought we had that guy in Olimata, and then they dealt him away a couple of years ago. That was a little strange, but uh, I think it was. I, I don't think he ended up uh, being the guy they thought he was going to be. Uh, I don't know if you have anything you want to add to that or not. Yeah, I mean, I think Olimata when he played for the London Knights when we were all scouting him for the the draft, he was a first round pick for Pittsburgh. 
we thought he did have that offensive upside and the right. offensive element. That's why he went in the first round. But a lot of those kids, when they get to the pro level, they develop into more of a, a shutdown type guy. And that, that's his bread and butter. He's in Chicago now. And he obviously had a lot of injuries too, which maybe derailed a bit of his development. Those are such key years from 18 to 23 kind of range. He had a lot of injuries there that maybe snuffed out some of his offense, but certainly he's still a, a very effective guy as far as uh, being a two-way defenseman and primarily in a, in a shutdown role is what he developed into sort of that number three, four, not quite, didn't quite reach the upside that maybe the Penguins hoped for and that a lot of scouts, myself included, would have seen when he was playing for the London Knights in junior, but still a, a serviceable defenseman, but the Penguins uh, did well to get what they got for him and, and to be in a position they're in again with, uh, like I said, contending team year after year. Yeah, I I was sad to see him go. I think he 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 won a cup with us, so he, he can't be too mad. I think he won a cup with us, right? Yeah. yeah so right. yeah, so he didn't do it too bad. And that, Chicago is not a bad place to land. So what would you say um, as a team owner? Uh, they they kind of have to be a general manager as well. If you're going to build a club in UFF Sports, how would you attack it? Like what would what sort of pieces would you go after first? You know, I've been thinking about that a lot. I'm not, a, I'm not an owner in UFF sports. And right. if I was, I think, you know, I would target, again, assuming, and, and I believe the platform is going to grow and, and the assets are only going to become more valuable. I wouldn't necessarily, I would like to have Connor McDavid and, and Sidney Crosby on my team, but I think I'd be looking at Connor Bedard. I'd be looking at Shane Wright. I'd be looking at, you know, Lafreniere Byfield. I, I would be fine taking over the last place team and building with these young, talented guys that in three or four years, they're going to be the ones that are worth the most, potentially. So I've always enjoyed that part of fantasy is sort of the rebuilding and the, the draft and development and getting these young prospects, maybe because I am a scout and I follow the draft, you know, closer than, almost closer than I follow the actual NHL. So I would be happy taking over one of the, the lower-level teams, getting a good prospect this year, and really sort of targeting my trades and stuff around who's going to be worth the most in two, three, four years versus who's the best player today. Yeah, I think that the long game, I like that. I think that's the way to go on that. Play the long game, get some young talent in there and, and, and uh, stack up for the long run. Uh, so when is hockey going to be back? Um, I'm so busy writing right now on, on blockchain that I really haven't been able to keep up with it. When, when is the NHL coming back? So tentatively, the, te the return to play plan was released this week. And tentatively, they'll be doing training camps in July. And they'll be going uh, probably the August long weekend, I guess, would be when they try to get the first weekend in August sort of thing would be when they start the, the play-in round. So the, the top seeds in the conference will have a bye through the first round. And they'll have a, a play-in round, probably a best of five. And uh, so those games will start early August. And by mid-August, the – the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs, as we know it, the 16 teams, best of seven, should be going. But again, it's so much of it depends on, you know, what happens between now and August in the world. And it's very unpredictable. Hopefully everything's open up and, and we're good to go. But, I mean, that's obviously the sort of the elephant in the room is uh, what, what's going to happen in the world will dictate what happens in hockey. But the, the tentative plan is to be back playing games in August. So what is it? The top two teams in each division are getting a bye? Is that how they're doing it? The top four in each conference. And then okay. they'll either reseed them. They're still, again, they're sort of, they put their plan out, but the NHLPA and the, and the league are still sort of ironing out the details as well. But tentatively, the top four teams in each conference would get a bye. 
And then uh, teams that were just outside of the playoff window, so like 9 to 12, that range, they'll play the, the lower-level teams that weren't top and, and, and sort of – they'll do that play-in series. Because there was so many teams that were within two or three points of a playoff spot when the season shut down, and they still had 10 or 12, or I think the range was something like 8 to 11 games left for every team. And some of those teams that were on the outside – were, you know, on a six, seven game winning streak when things shut down. So there was a good chance they were going to play their way in if they got the remainder of the regular season. So this gives them that chance. And so it should be interesting. I don't know. The matchups aren't what they would have been had we just had the regular playoffs. You know, I was really looking forward to the Battle of Alberta in the first round. They had such a good rivalry going this year, Calgary and Edmonton. And the way the, the bracket is tentatively looking, they would be in in a separate sort of division or bracket there. So they wouldn't face off in the first or second round. Edmonton, for an example, would go, would they play Chicago first and the winner would play Dallas is sort of the way it's looking tentatively. So not necessarily the rivalries aren't as good as they would have been if, you know, the Flyers and Penguins were playing in the first right. round. Now maybe the Penguins are playing. I'm not sure who they play, but I don't think it's somebody in the, I think it's somebody from the Atlantic division actually. So uh, they're kind of divided by conference, not by division and, and for the brackets right now. But again, those details are, they're set, but they're not set, right? We'll see where we are in a, in a month when they actually get back to practicing and training camp. And, and then I'm sure they'll really hammer out the details as it gets closer. I got to ask you um, who your favorite player of all time is. Oh, I was a goaltender, so I grew up watching goalies. So, you know, the, the Patrick Waz and Martin Brodeurs, those guys were obviously Dominic Hasek. Marty Brodeur. Yeah, those are my childhood. So that's, those are the big names. I really liked Curtis Joseph when he came through Edmonton. I grew up in a family of Oiler fans. We were from four hours from Edmonton. We went to a fair – me and my dad went to a lot of Oiler games growing up. So seeing Curtis Joseph live in Edmonton, he was probably my favorite goalie that I – patterned myself after I had his helmet I had his pads you know I had a lot of his gear set up and stuff I really so probably favorite player Curtis Joseph maybe my first favorite player was Bill Ranford who backstopped the Oilers for the 1990 Stanley Cup when I was like six years old that's maybe what got me into hockey but I think uh, as I was in my development years 10 to 15 years old Curtis Joseph was probably my, my guy uh, and who do you think will win the cup this year Oh, man, it's, it's impossible to predict that because we've had a, you know, by August, we're going to have like a four-month layoff. So it's really going right. to be, everybody's going to be healthy. Like there was guys that had, you know, season-ending injuries that were going to be out four to six months. They're <laughs> healthy and back. I mean, Weird, right? Yeah. Yeah, the lineups are going to be full. It's going to be great. So, uh, you know, I, I, I have to say the Tampa Bay Lightning are going to be a pick that I would probably would feel most comfortable putting some money on. I think that team's loaded. I think they haven't had their year yet, but I think the, the roster is built for success to win now. So I, I like Tampa's chances, but uh, I mean, obviously uh, in that division, again, because they're not doing the bracket, but that division is so tough to come out of normally with Boston and Toronto and Tampa. Like it's a, a tough division and now they're going to get different matchups. So the matchups are so much intrigued with that and, and playing teams that you wouldn't normally play in the playoffs. So I think in the West, uh, Vegas is always going to be strong. I think St. Louis, again, come playoffs, they're going to get Tarasenko back. But, again, where are these guys going to be at, right? Because they've been injured, and some of these guys haven't played since, you know, Christmas or before Christmas. So 
it's getting, and they haven't been skating really, you know, I think it's right. in Sweden guys have been skating. So maybe the team that has the most Swedish players is going to win the cup. <laughs> the time. Yeah. They never had to shut it down. So Vancouver has a ton of Swedish guys. Maybe the Canucks will be a, a team that surprises a bit because they won't have that rust. And, and again, you can work out all you want, but hockey muscles are completely different than gym muscles and, and even running muscles or cardio muscles are completely different than skating muscles. So I think that's what a lot of people don't understand is how unique the, the muscles you use for hockey are and you can't really train them off the ice all that well. So uh, they're going to be rubber legged when they get back out there and it's going to take them a while to get up to game speed and, and, and we'll see what teams, maybe the youngest team, right? And right. Surprise, kind of like the world cup of hockey when team North America, the young guys, took everybody by storm and that was sort of coming out of the summer right it was the first hockey everybody played the youngest guys had the most energy and and the most ability to pick up and go so maybe the youngest team maybe the team with the most Swedes but Tampa Bay is a team that I, I can't overlook I think they, if I had to pick one you're putting me on the spot I'll say Tampa Bay Lightning. oh the Lightning huh okay okay I know some Lightning fans will like to hear that um so lastly, uh, I'm sure you, I think you and I are going to be having more discussions here, but I wanted to have you on here and introduce you to my community and the, uh, you know, listeners and um, all that good stuff. What is the, uh, I know that you just, you were just onboarded, but uh, what, what does the roadmap uh, look like for UFF sports? Uh, and I mean, you touched on it a little bit, but is there anything else you want to say about like, uh, you know, upcoming stuff or anything, anything you want to add at all? Yeah. So I think the biggest thing, in the near future, obviously we have eight franchises left for the, the ultimate fantasy hockey league, the UFHL. We'd like to, as soon as possible, get, get people interested and get those franchises sold so we're stable with 31 teams. There's only ever going to be 31 teams. Like you said, now is the time to, to get in and, and be a franchise owner. And some people that I've networked with, they think, oh, you know, it's, it's a little bit more money than my current fantasy league. But Again, this is you got to see the big picture, and this is something you want to get in on at the ground level and, and grow with the league. And the values should only go up. So I think getting the, the the eight franchises sold is sort of a top priority right now. And then immediately in June, we're going to launch the scouting campaign and 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 the scouting portion of the platform, which I think is going to be a big hit in my circle, which is you know my scouting colleagues at FC Hockey, my scouting colleagues at the Hockey Writers. I'm big in the scouting community on Twitter. I'm active on Twitter. There's tons of scouts there that are aspiring guys that spend all day watching these prospects. They know the, the 2023 draft class better than I do. And here's their chance to go out and get them and, and really sort of, I don't want to say put your money where your mouth is, but really, you know, figure out who these kids are going to be and, and sign them up. And, and you'll have a success story to tell your grandkids uh, 50 <laughs> years from now that you signed up this kid, Sidney Crosby, when he was 15 and, in uh you know in uff sports and here he is now you know he's won everything you can win 10 15 years later and and you you developed and you brought him into the league so uh again it's just kind of the nhl on the blockchain is the way i explain it i think it's a a terrific idea genius idea by tony and the rest of the founders and i really do think the sky is the limit but for sure the scouting campaign is the next big thing we're gonna run that uh for a couple months and then we're gonna plan our scouting auction as well as our first inaugural entry auction for the 2020 draft class. So the franchise owners can start building out their prospect pool and their, their protected list. They're they're allowed to have 27 prospects at any time. And so right now, most of them don't have any or very few. So they're going to be eager to start 
purchasing some prospects and, and have that feeder system going. And so the, the scouting auction, the entry auction, that's going to be uh, between now and whenever the NHL hosts their draft, that's going to be our primary focus. And then, like you said, expansion is going to happen and, and happen quite rapidly to other sports. Obviously, the big ones in North America, baseball, basketball, football, we're going to hit them all up and hopefully do some of the more individual sports too, golf, tennis, NASCAR, MMA, UFC, stuff like that. So uh, they're planning to hit every sporting event imaginable and sooner than later is sort of where we're going. Yeah, I can't wait to see how this develops in the next couple of years. I think it's going to be extremely cool to watch. Uh, Mr. Larry Fisher, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Is there anywhere you would like to direct people to uh, uh, check out your Twitter? Uh, you want to drop your Twitter, the UFF links or anything like that? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at LarryFisher underscore KDC, which stood for Kelowna Daily Courier, where I used to work. Uh, so that's my Twitter handle. The UFF Sports Twitter handle is just at UFF Sports, easy enough. Uh, definitely, uh, we're doing a, the, the social media team has been doing a wonderful job promoting the platform on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. So I think uh, definitely give us a follow on all those channels and I think that that's going to be the uh, a big part of the future is uh, attracting people through social and and really building out that ecosystem where people are passionate on on social media about the the platform. So for me, you can follow me on Twitter at Larry Fisher underscore KDC and certainly give UFF Sports a follow as well. Yeah, I hope to talk to you again. Uh, this will be available at Briar.io forward slash podcast and on YouTube at Pittsburgh, under Pittsburgh Hodler H O D L R. Uh, share, like, retweet, help spread the message of uh, UFF Sports. Get in there, check it out. I, I'm I'm very bullish on the future of fantasy sports on the blockchain, and these guys are like the trailblazers, uh, in my opinion. So give them a follow. Check out what Larry's doing. Thanks for coming on the show today, sir. Uh, I'll say a proper goodbye. Hang on one moment.